Well, it is wonderful to be back with you. Nicole asked me this past Sunday, what do I prefer? Do I prefer to sit and listen to a to a gospel preacher or do I prefer to preach? And I haven't preached in two weeks. I got a hold of the wrong end of a chainsaw a couple of weeks ago. And then, of course, we had our gospel meeting and I said, oh, I like to hear gospel preachers. I don't get to do that very often. But I want to preach. I don't know any preacher who doesn't think he has something important to say. And uh, he can't go very long without saying that. And so I'm so, certainly glad to be back with you today. This morning, we want to talk a little bit about the statement that was asked King Hezekiah. What have they seen in your house? That's what I have entitled this morning's sermon. What have they seen in your house? In our world today... I think few things are more important than the home, the family unit, the institution of the family. I think if one uh, observed or inspected the average home in a very nonspecific chosen area, I think there would be a myriad of things that, that would be seen. I think one would find homes where they're doing just exactly what God wants them to do. I still think that. I think we have families out there that do that. I think that you might find a home where parents see the children only for a few moments each night after they come in from work. They have time enough to bathe them, to feed them, and to put them to bed. You know, sometimes that's just the way it has to be for a while, but I think we would find some homes like that. I think we might see some homes where families do not sit down around a dinner table and and commune and fellowship with one another and speak about the day's events and just spend time with each other. I think we would see a whole lot of homes where people sit in front of a TV and they eat their dinner and they don't pay very much attention to each other. I think we see a whole lot of homes like that. I think we'd find some homes where mom is missing or dad is missing or maybe everybody is missing. They're being reared by other family members or some uh, some other combination of those things. But I think if we looked at all these homes, I think we would find that they have one thing in common, every single one of them, from the best to the worst. They are in need of God's divine instruction. Whether you're doing it right or whether you're doing it wrong, you need God's divine instruction. And you only get that from one place. There are no latter-day Revelation, there are no latter-day prophets. There's only God's Word, the inspired Bible, and that is where we gain God's divine instruction. It has been said, as goes the home, so goes the nation. And I believe that. I believe the problems of our nation are found in the problems within our homes. The psalmist rightly stated, Psalm 127, 1, He said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that built it. I don't think a truer statement has ever been made. If the foundations of the home are not built on Christ, guess what? We are in trouble. We are in trouble. In fact, God held the family in such high esteem that that was the first institution that He created when He formed the woman out of the rib of man and brought her to Him. The greatest gift that man has ever received other than Christ Himself. 
Again, I believe the problems of our nation are based in the problems that can be found in the home today. What would the answer be if we asked, if my home was the basis for my nation, what kind of shape would my nation be in? We need to think about that, don't we? We need to understand that a little more closely. We need to understand that a house is simply not a home, right? Just because it's a house doesn't make it a home. There are a lot of houses out there that aren't homes. I want us to look at two possibilities. Let's look at two examples, two probable examples of houses. We look at one house and and we walk into it and boy, the floors are nice, the wood has been polished, it's gleaming, everything is dusted. You look at uh, the decorations and it just looks like it came out of a magazine. It's just wonderful. The house is perfectly painted. The lawn is perfectly manicured. Every bed in the house is made. There are no dishes on the counter. All the cupboards are closed. That's a wonderful house. And then you look at you look on down into the house and, and you see across a, a, a length of carpet that mysteriously has no footprints in it. And you see a group of people standing over there talking with one another and they're, they're interacting, but you don't really see anything other than a mechanical kind of interaction. But they have beautiful smiles and perfect teeth. Their hair is combed perfectly and they're, they're talking with one another, but very carefully. Very carefully they're speaking with one another. You don't see a lot of emotion within the family. And I think that when we look at that, it reminds me of the old question, how do two porcupines hug each other? Very carefully. Very carefully. Now that's one house. Let's look at another house. You look in this other house and the floors is, well, as far as you can see them, need a little work. Especially where the toenails of the dog have made scratches into the wood floor. There's, there's some dishes on the counter. There are little grimy handprints all over the walls. The, door, uh, the screen in the door has been knocked out because someone keeps running through it. You see all kinds of problems uh, uh, as far as just the look of the home goes. You need to pick up a few dirty clothes. The drapes may sag a little bit. You begin to look at the paint on the wall and maybe you see a crack or two. You see a seam where the sheetrock was put together and maybe needs a little work. You go into one room and it's kind of dimly lit because one of the light bulbs went out and the other one uh, in the lamp, someone threw a jacket over it because they were in a hurry to go do something. And then you see some people in the home and they're talking with each other and they may be just a little bit excited. It might even be an argument every once in a while as they... They talk with each other. But you know what? They, they later, they get over it, and everyone loves everyone else. Now, which one of those houses is truly a home? Which one is truly a home? Now, I'm not going to ask you which home is yours. I know which one is mine. And I know that because I know where home is. You know where home is? Home is where stresses are brought out and dealt with. Home's not a museum. Home isn't a museum. Home is where you have some grimy handprints on the wall and they're not just this tall either. In, in my home, they go all the way up to the top. 
Home is where the issues of life come to center stage. Home is where they're, they're dealt with and, and they can be resolved because home is where everyone loves everyone else in that home. Home is where somebody puts up with you. Isn't that right? Home is where someone puts up with you. A house is, is just a shell. It's just a facade. It's, it's just a show place. A home is, as in the words of Robert Frost, is, is where when you go there, they have to take you in. A house is not a home. Listen to the Hoosier poet James Whitcomb Riley. It takes a heap of living to make a house a home. I believe that's right. God wants to give us a home. God wants to, to give us what we need to make our houses homes. And He's done that. That's what God did when He chose Jesus Christ to come to the earth when God appeared and lived among men as the Christ in a home with brothers and sisters and a mother and a father. A house is not a home. God wants more for us than just houses. God wants to give us a home, doesn't He? That's what Christ said in my Father's house or many mansions, I think we might say, my father's home or many homes. John 14, 2. The setting of our passage that was read for us this morning is one where Hezekiah foolishly shows the Babylonians every single thing that he had in his house. The weaponry, the money, the spices... All the treasures in God's house. And he did it because of the foolish pride of life. Now the question Isaiah posed to Hezekiah is one we need to be asking ourselves and it's one that should have been asked from the very beginning of time even until today. What have they seen in your house? What have they seen in your house? What does the world see in my house? What does God see in my house? What do I see? In my house. Hezekiah's answer was, All the things that are in my house have they seen. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. As God looks upon His creation, He knows what's in our house. He knows if our houses are homes. He knows where our homes are as far as the relationships that are going on within those homes. He knows everything about them. Not just, not just in the world, what the world can see. He sees everything privately as well. He knows what's in our house. We better know what is in our house. And that's our question this morning. What has God seen in my house? Do I even know? I think we begin this morning as we look at this idea of a house isn't necessarily a home. To better understand that, to be able to better answer this question, we have to know first of all that a home is a haven. That's our first point. A home is a haven. Well, a haven for what or from what? It is a haven of freedom from the world. That's what a home is supposed to be. A home is a haven of freedom. It's it's more than a place that that we go to get out of the weather and somewhere we can sleep at night. That's not 
all a home is. That's a house, right? That could, might even be a doghouse. I don't know. But, it's, but that's just a house. That's just a building, isn't it? That could be a tent. I guess a tent could be a home. But a home is much more than a place to get out of the weather, a place to go to sleep at night. It's a place where everyone lives for and with each other. And a place where everyone lives for God. Isn't that amazing? I think that's what God wants. When we look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 15, and we'll look at uh, that passage I think God has given us one of the greatest descriptions of what a home should be and how it ought to operate. This haven of rest from the world will be one where God is constantly heard and followed. Now let's understand. A haven is somewhere somewhere where you go to get away from a problem, right? So let's not allow the world to come into our homes and mess up our haven, right? Let's not allow the examples of the world to come in through whatever medium they come in and mess up our homes. Let me tell you what I told my son-in-law when he asked me if he could marry my oldest daughter. And what I told this other fellow that has asked me to marry my second daughter, and that hasn't happened yet. That's still up in the air. But let me tell you what I told them. I said, take great care that you don't mess up what I spent 20-something years building. Take great care that you don't destroy what I've built, or that's going to anger me greatly. We need to look at our homes that way. Let's take great care that we do not let the influences of the world come into our homes and mess up what we have built. The home is too important. It's a haven of freedom from the world. Moses commanded, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen to him. Hear him. He's about to speak something that is extremely important. Christ warned Matthew 4, 24, Take heed what you hear, with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. It's very important what we hear. A haven of freedom from the world is a place where God is heard and followed. Period. We understand that's important. Stephen told the Jewish leaders that they were stubborn and they would not listen, Acts 7. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to listen. I think it is of the utmost importance that our children learn about the Lord inside of their homes. Where else are they going to learn about it? They're not going to learn about it at school. That's against the law, isn't it? Or it's going to be. We don't want to hear about God in the school system anymore, do we? How many of you, I can remember growing up, going to school, we said a prayer before we went to lunch. Our young people don't remember that. Because you know why? It doesn't happen today. And then I remember when we transitioned from saying a prayer to a moment of silence. 
Have them over in the silence. That way we don't offend the atheists in the world. Right? Take a nap for a minute. Or say a prayer to your God. Our homes ought to be a haven of freedom. That ought to be the norm in our home. That ought to be something we think about. There's only one way in which a parent and child alike can hear God. There's only one way. And that's through a study of God's Word. Are we studying with our families? Are we studying the Bible with our families? Are we allowing our children to ask questions? Do, do our children know who Noah was? Do our children know who David was? What David did? Do they understand the, the lineage through which the Savior came from Adam to Seth to Shem on down the line through Judah Christ came. Do, do, do our children understand the, the foundational basic ideas of what God did in the history of mankind and why He did it? They have to learn that at home. Who's going to teach them? They just get so much from Bible class, right? They have to learn that. We have to do it together. 1 Timothy 4, 12-13, Paul told Timothy, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Until I come, he said, attend to reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. How are we going to teach if we don't first read? You know what this word read means? Study. Study it. And teach it. Tell someone else. Where does it start? It better start at home. There's not a missionary in the world that their mission didn't start at home. Every person who has a home is a missionary. Whether you have children or not. It's a mission, it's a mission field. We need to read our Bibles daily. We need to read them with our children. We need to instill in them a respect for God's Word that's missing in the world. Home is a haven It's a rest from the world. It is freedom. And it offers freedom only to the faithful. We better remember that, right? Moses commanded this, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. God has to come first in our lives, period. He is first. And He has to come first in our homes. If it's going to be a home. John said, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 8. I think Todd made a wonderful statement during the, during the, the gospel meeting. Why do we love? Because we learned it from God. Without God, there would be no love in the world. I think a godly home is one where children are taught the truth. They're taught to be faithful in one where they learn to possess their own faith, right? Listen, too many children have grown up in homes with faithful members of the Lord's church not to have owned their own faith, not to have been taught that, just simply doing what mom and dad do. And you know what happens most of the time? They leave. They leave God because they don't own their faith. They don't own their faith. They're living off mom and dad's faith. And then that just works for so long, doesn't it? We have to have our own faith. Where do we learn to have our own faith? Well, we've got to learn it from our parents. But they have to put us 
in the right direction to learn it. They have to point us to the Bible. Standing on the mountain before Israel, Moses said this, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. If we're going to have a haven of freedom from the world, one that offers us the ability of salvation by being faithful, we better take responsibility of that home, and we better do the things that God has asked us to do, and one of those is training up our children. But you know, a home isn't just a place where children are taught and reared. Some homes have never had a child in them. And you know what happens to all homes at some point, even if there are children there? They grow up and they move on, don't they? They go establish homes of their own. So what do we do? Does a home stop being a home? No. You keep on doing that same thing. You just don't have as many people to do it with, right? A home is a place where friends are welcome and grandchildren visit, of which I'm told is the greatest thing in the world. All the while they recognize the love of occupants that the occupants have for God. That's what a home is. That haven of freedom and faithfulness obeys the Lord fully. Deuteronomy 6, 8-15. through 15. That's what a home does. Do you know what dishonest and ungodly parents bring into the world? Dishonest and ungodly children. Do you know what parents who do not care about spiritual matters bring into the world? Children who do not care about spiritual matters. Do you know what parents who have more important things to do than to train their children to love God and have a respect for His Word? you know what they bring into the world? Children who do not have time to love God and have no respect for His Word. And they influence everyone around them. A home is a, is a haven of freedom and faithfulness. But only, only if it has heroes in it. That's our second point. A godly home has heroes. If our homes are going to have heroes, God wants the members to be faithful. That's the only way it can happen. They have to be godly, right? We recognize that a beautiful horse does not produce an ugly possum. doesn't happen in this world, does it? Same thing is true with... A beautiful family. A beautiful family does not produce an ungodly family. Does that mean that someone can't fall away or uh, that they don't uh, remain faithful? That's not what that means. Because we each have to make our own choices. We're not teaching some sort of neo-Calvinism here that just because I'm faithful, my children will be faithful. That's not true necessarily. But you know what is true? If I'm not faithful, the likelihood of my children being faithful... Is slim to none. That's what we're talking about. We have to be the heroes of the home that God wants. Do you remember when David wanted to build God a house out of cedar? He spoke with Nathan and he said, Boy, look, look what I'm living in and God dwells in a tent. You remember what Nathan said? We see this over in 2 Samuel chapter 7. First part of the chapter. 
Initially, Nathan said, you go do what you want to, God is with you. And then we get on down to verse 6, I believe it is, and we have God instructing Nathan. He said, you go tell my servant David this. And in essence, he tells David, he says, when did I ever ask you to build me a house? When did I ever tell you that being in a temple or being in a tabernacle, a tent, wasn't good enough that I needed your help? That I needed you to do something for me? Didn't Paul talk about that in Acts 17? He said, God does not dwell in temples made by the hands of men, nor does He need anything from men, because He is the source of all things. See, David thought he was going to do something for God. But you know what God is not interested in doing? Building houses. He's not interested in building houses. You know what He's interested in? Building homes. That's what He wants. He wants to build homes. And Now His words to David were prophetic. Had a dual prophecy involved. He said, oh, I'm going to let your descendants build me a home. Now in, in the immediate prophecy, Solomon came along and he did build the temple, the house of God, right? But who was the real descendant that David, that God spoke of? Christ. Christ came and He did. He built us all a home. Those who are faithful, right? That's excuse me. That's the that's the home that that God had in mind. He built a home. Jesus spoke of that home when He told the disciples. We mentioned verse two already, but let's read the passage. John fourteen one through three. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's what a home is, isn't it? He went to prepare that place, to make it a home. It was The house was there. He went to make it a home. And what a home it is for all of us to look forward to. If our homes are going to be havens, they have to have heroes in them. The members have to be heroes. And we must mentor those who are learning. That's our responsibility. That's our job. God's given that to us. We have to look to the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit, and those who admire them. We can use them for examples. Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Second Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. We can use people as examples. We can look around. We can read through our Bibles and we see all kinds of people. We see godly Seth. We see faithful Noah and Abraham. We see that fine mother Hannah. We see David and Solomon messed up but came back being faithful to God. We see all of those people. We see the apostles who gave their lives for the spread of the gospel, for the word of God. Those Christians who stood up under the persecution of the first century and laid down their lives and said, I'm going to worship God. I don't care what Rome says. We see those people. Those are examples. But those aren't our only examples. Not our only examples, are there? Each of us here knows someone 
and may still know someone, and hopefully we do, who is an example to us. There are a myriad of people that we've known in our lives who've gone on to their reward that, that we look up to and we honor, but we have a, a whole bunch of people sitting around us that we can look to and honor and, and appreciate and use them and hold them up as godly examples because they mentored us as we mentor those coming up behind us. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, you know, and we need to be careful. We need to be careful who we allow in our homes to mentor our children, and to be heroes to them. And we may not physically let them in our homes, but there are other mediums by which they enter. TV, radio, internet, whatever the case may be. I can't think of a Hollywood star right now that needs to mentor my children. I can't think of an entertainer right now or a musician that ought to be mentoring my children. I can't think of a politician that I want to mentor my children. But you know who I do want to mentor my children? Faithful Christians. People who love me and them. And and we need to be careful, right? Those people are loathsome at best and will cause, cause us to lose our souls at worst. We've got to be careful who our heroes are. You know who children are going to love and respect? Fathers who love and respect a mother. You know who... Children are going to love and respect mothers who love and respect their fathers. That's who children love and respect. You know who children are going to love and respect? Grandparents who love and respect them and try to help them be the people they want to, they, that they need to be. Or friends and, and family members that love and respect them and demonstrate to them what God wants us to be and, and goes about executing that. And the result of that is we're going to have obedient children, aren't we? We're going to have children who love God and and we pray that they'll always be faithful. But if nothing else, we've done our part. Those of us who have homes and who are in charge of the home and, and who guide the home, we've done our part. We'll have a place in heaven one day and we'll pray for everyone that came up behind us. That's what God wants. But you know, when we look at havens and heroes, and that doesn't just happen, does it? That's not just something that happens... It, It's not just a good mistake, you know, like the post-it note. That was just a good mistake. Someone trying to figure out a different glue and and they come up with a post-it note. Well, that was a good mistake. Havens and heroes don't happen that way. Havens and heroes are the result of habits. That's our third and final point. What about the habits of husbands and wives? Will they demonstrate closeness? Do we see that in a family? Well, if we're not seeing it, we better see it. Because it's absolutely necessary in the home. We'll see that closeness or we'll see deficits that are being revealed. Either way, we need to learn from that, don't we? If we're seeing that closeness, we need to continue with it. We need to make it better and stronger. And if we're seeing a deficit, we need to correct it. We need to correct it. Notice what Peter said, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. He said, Husbands, Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. I think the King James says, dwell with them according to knowledge. New King James says understanding. You can't have understanding if you don't have knowledge. But none of it matters if we do not have the proper habits. We don't put it into the way we ought to put it. 
use it the proper way. Christ reminded the Jews, Matthew 19, 4 through 6. He said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no one put asunder. This word cleave means to be stuck fast. It's almost as being glued hard. When you break it apart, you destroy them both. Have you ever built something? I, I am a believer in liquid nails. Let me tell you something. I bought enough liquid nails I could own half the company. And when you put something together with liquid nails, you go to tear it apart, that's exactly what you do. You tear it apart. You just might as well start over. That's what this word cleave means. We need to have that. You know, if any husband and wife say, well, we used to be close, but it's not the example we want. It's not what our children need to see. That has to be overcome. They again need to learn to treat each other the way God expects. And you know who learns from that? Think about this. How do our daughters learn to be good wives? Watch the mother. How do our daughters learn how or what the proper way is for a wife to be treated? I learn it from their fathers. What about our sons? How do... How do our sons know how to treat a wife? They learn it from their father. How do they learn how they ought to be treated by a wife? They learn it from their father. How do, how do our sons and daughters grow up learning to be good mothers and fathers? They learn it from their mother and their father. In the home, right? Not just a house somewhere. We need to understand that, right? We need to learn that we treat each other in a proper way. Whether we have children or not, someone else is watching. We're the light of the world. That's what Christ said. We influence the world. How are we going to be a light to the world when our bulbs are out, right? Our homes ought to be decorated. I, I fully believe our homes ought to be decorated. But here's what they ought to be decorated with. Consideration, selflessness, love, hard work, kindness, and compassion. That's what our homes ought to be decorated with. Those are habits of closeness that lend themselves to creating a godly people. And that's vital to the home and its survival. Our communication must be what God wants, not just with each other, but with Him as well. We better be praying as a family. What about the man and the wife who, who don't have children? They need to be praying as a family. They're still a family. They need to pray together. We need to, we need to pray with our children. What about those of us whose children have gone and they've established families of their own? Well, let's pray together. And when they come home to visit, let's pray with them also. That demonstrates a closeness, but it also demonstrates a commitment. Our commitment directly impacts our habits, right? Absolutely, it has to. And it impacts the habits of those who we influence. Here's what happens to disobedient children. You know what disobedient children are in danger of? Hellfire. In danger of going to hell. In danger of losing their souls because they're disobedient. Moses 
wrote this, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Before Israel was allowed to enter into the promised land, he reminded them, Deuteronomy 27, verse 16, he said, Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. In other words, a disobedient child who disregards his parents and thinks light of them. They're going to be cursed to damnation. That's an Old Testament passage, and it has a lot of New Testament application because it can be found in the New Testament as well. A home will prevent that. If our children grow up to be that type of a child, you know what they have to look forward to? Being on a very intimate, personal relationship basis with the local authorities and the people who inhabit the local jails. That's what we can look forward to if they live, and they may not. If a parent will not rear a child in the manner God requires, there one day will answer for that. That's a big responsibility for us, isn't it? We better do it the right way. We better do it the proper way. We better do it God's way. And that is the result of a house and not a home. And that's not what we want. We want to understand what's going on in our house. Is it home or is it not? God sees into our homes and He understands what's going on. We're not fooling anyone. And if, if we're going to please Him, we have to be good keepers at home. We have to take that responsibility and we have to do what God has asked us to do. God sees what's in our homes. We better be seeing it, right? We better appreciate what's going on in our homes in the sense of understanding what's going on. And if we need to make correction, let's make correction. We can do that. We can correct things. We can understand and we can build our homes if we follow God's plan and His direction. Before we can ever be faithful to God, though, we have to be, we have to be in His family. We have to be in His home, right? We have to be a member of His body, His house, His home. And that's the church, Colossians 1.18. We do that through faith, repentance, Confession that Jesus Christ is who He said He was, that He lived, that He died, that He rose from the grave on the third day. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, ruling over His kingdom and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. Finally, living faithfully, being what He wants us to be, being a member of His family, being a part of His home. That's what God wants and that's what we can do. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, if maybe you need to make some correction in your life for whatever reason, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.